Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. are here. If you're joining us online, we're glad y'all are with us as well. Uh, my name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. So we've been looking at this idea of living a life worthy of the calling that we've received for the past several weeks. Different uh, ways of understanding that. Taking off our old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. Putting on our new self, uh, which is made to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, following God's example, walking in the way of love. Last week we looked at some reasons why it's important to make this shift and then a couple of commands that we want to cultivate. Find out what's pleasing to God and being filled with the Holy Spirit. For the next two weeks we're going to look at what's called a household code, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's instructions on how you relate to members of your household. A household in Paul's day was larger than a household in our day. Uh, Three primary relationships, husband, wife, parent, child, master, slave. Those are the three primary relationships uh, in a household in Paul's day. Today we're going to look at husband, wife. Next week we're going to look at parent, child, and master, slave. And we'll do that through the lens of employer, employee. That's the best analog uh, for us uh, for that relationship. There's three household codes in the New Testament, and they're consistent on what they teach about these roles. The one we'll look at in the next couple of weeks in Ephesians, there's a briefer household code in Colossians, and there's also one in 1 Peter. If you want to look at those, again, they're consistent in how they teach us to relate to one another. As we're getting into this today, just keep in mind two things. One, this is a specific expression of what it looks like to live a life worthy of the calling uh, that we've received within the household. And this household code, it's in a broader context of what it means to function in the body of Christ. And we'll unpack that as we go. So chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he's the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we're members of his body." For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So commands are simple. These two two instructions are simple. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. We need to unpack that a little bit. What does it mean to submit? It means to willingly yield yourself to another to choose to place yourself under the authority of another person. Authority and submission go hand in hand. If there's authority, there is submission. If there's submission, then there is authority. So wives are told, willingly place yourself under the authority of your husband. Voluntarily yield to them. Why? Because the husband has authority within the home. That's, That's the reason. Because the husband is the head of his wife just like Christ is the head of the church. The word head in the New Testament can either mean source or authority. When it comes to Jesus, it means both. He's the source of the church, 
and he's the authority in the church. When it comes to the home, source is not in view. Husbands are not the source of their wives. But husbands do have authority in their home. It's God-given authority. It's authority that he's delegated to husbands. So wives, submit to your husbands because they have authority, God-given authority, over you. What does that look like, that submission? It's, a, it's analogous to or parallel to the way we the, we, the church, submits to Jesus. So if you're a wife, you're thinking about how you personally submit to Jesus. And then we're also thinking collectively about how we as a body submit to Jesus. Again, that's what Paul says. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For he's the, the husband's your head as Christ is the head of the church. So as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands. And then the scope is all-inclusive in everything. That's what it says. So that's the command. That's the instruction within a household. What is, what's the wife's role? It's to submit to her husband, willingly placing herself under her husband's authority but that God has given to him in all things as she does to Jesus. Now, I recognize that can be a provocative statement. Maybe easy for me to say, maybe hard for some of you to hear. Some of you are getting a little bit indignant and you're trying to figure out how you can get out of here. Some of you, honestly, you're scared. You're thinking, he's not, he's not trustworthy of that. And that genuinely, you are. And so uh, just a couple of things around this idea of submission. One, I'm talking about a healthy marriage. I don't, I, not perfect, that one doesn't exist but just a healthy marriage. I'm not talking about an abusive situation. If you're in an abusive situation, you need to most likely create some separation. You need to go to a professional counselor. You need to evaluate your options. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is uh, what I would consider just a healthy marriage where abuse is not present. Again, not perfect, but where abuse is not present. And the second thing I would say is just keep in mind wives and husbands. Husbands, your authority is limited. Wives, your husband's authority in your life, it's limited. It's not not all-encompassing. It's not total. You submit to your husband as you do to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate authority, and he's the one to whom you owe ultimate allegiance. If in order to submit to your husband, it would cause you to disobey Jesus, then you don't do it. If your husband's asking you to do something that would cause you to disobey Jesus, you say no. If your husband is preventing you from doing something that Jesus commands, then you say, I'm doing it anyway. It's okay within that context to resist or to disobey your husband because you're obeying Jesus, if that makes sense. So in Acts uh, 5, I think it is, Peter and John are arrested and the Sanhedrin says, y'all don't preach the gospel anymore. And they say, you tell us, is it more, is it better for us to obey you who's telling us to stop or to obey Jesus who told us to preach the gospel to all nations? Which one? We're going to obey God, whatever the consequences are. And the same thing is true within the home. If submission to your husband would lead to sin, then you don't do it. So there are limits to that authority, but that submission is, it's real. Like that's a real thing. Husbands, again, clear command, love your wives. And we're given two pictures for what that love looks like. As Christ loves the church and as you love your own body. So first, as Christ loves the church, and then that's qualified or or described further with and gave himself up for her. So the way, the, the love that we're talking about here, the love that's commanded in Ephesians 5 is neither romantic love 
nor sexual love, though both of those are appropriate within the context of marriage. It's self-giving love or self-sacrificial love. Uh, You may have heard of the different words for love in the New Testament. It's agape love or New Testament love or Christian love. It's it's, It's love that looks... Uh, out for the other. Love that says, I want what's best for you regardless of the cost to me. Now, when we hear that phrase, gave himself up, most of us immediately jump to the cross, which makes sense. That's the ultimate expression of Jesus giving himself up for us was his death. None of us are gonna be in a position where we have to take a bullet for our wives. Like we're not in Hollywood. We're not in the movies. It's not gonna happen. If it does, take the bullet. That doesn't help you love her tomorrow because you're not gonna be put in that position tomorrow. If your idea of giving yourself up for your wife just means on the one in whatever million chance that you have to die in her place, you'll do it. That doesn't help you on Tuesday. It doesn't help you love her. Think about this idea of giving himself up in the context of Philippians 2, I think it's 6 and 7. Jesus being uh, in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took on the nature of a servant. Think about that. Jesus is omnipotent, all-powerful, and he becomes a zygote and then a fetus and then a newborn. You've been around a newborn? They can't do anything except cry omnipotent God gave up that for this. Became a child, an adolescent in all miracles, a teenager, and then continued to grow. Think about uh, the Jesus, he's omnipresent. The heavens can't contain him. And he takes up residence in Mary's uterus. What he gave up for us The cross is the ultimate expression, but it's not the only. From the moment of his conception, Jesus gave up, took off in order to, for the sake of the church. So husbands, as you're thinking about what it means to love your wife as Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her, don't just think about, again, the the Hollywood scenario where you die in her place. Think about John 13, the last night of Jesus' life, washing the feet of someone who would deny him, of someone who would betray him, and of 10 people who would desert him. That's what it looks like to give yourself up for the sake of your wife. It means to wash her feet day in and day out. Opportunities to serve, to put her needs above your own needs. That's what we're talking about. The second picture, love your wife as you love your own body. That sounds selfish. It's like we just had this high and lofty as Jesus loves the church. And now you're going to say, love my wife as I love myself, as I love my body. It's just a different picture. It's not, it's not better or worse. It's just different. To me, if that idea of as Jesus loves the church really speaks about service, this idea of as our body speaks about care. And that's one of the things Paul says. Like we take care of ourselves. We feed and care for our own body. That's natural. It's unnatural to hate your own body. When a husband and a wife come together, the two become one. And so in that sense, his wife's body, like there is one body in a marriage. And so when you're caring for your wife, you are caring for yourself because you have become one. That's just an extension of that Genesis 2.24 idea. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. It's just an extension of that 
idea, that understanding is, yes, as you care for your wife, you are caring for yourself because you're one body. And I do think that idea of care is what's in view there. Uh, I would say it's, it's husbands looking to do what you can to help your wife flourish and thrive. Don't hear, you know, you have to fulfill her wildest dreams. We would like to, but we, we can't. Like there's limitations for sure for all of us. And I want you to be crushed under the weight of those expectations. But I do want you to hear this idea of like, are, are, you doing your, are, are you doing what you can to contribute to her flourishing and thriving? Are you caring for her? Just like you care for your own body. You feed yourself, you get enough sleep, you exercise. You, are, are you doing whatever the version of that is for your wife, making sure that she can flourish and thrive? It's both serving and caring. That's what it means for a husband to love his wife. So wives submit to their husbands and Husbands love their wives. Let me give you a little framework for both of those commands that may be helpful. Three prongs in the framework. First, equality of genders. This was established both at creation and affirmed in redemption. Genesis 1.27, let's make humankind in our image. God created humankind in his image. Male and female, he created them. In his image, he made them or created them. So both men and women are created in the image of God. That means equal worth, equal value, equal dignity. To say a woman submits to her husband is not to say a woman is less than her husband, or a woman is inferior to her husband, or a woman is worth less than her husband, or a woman's not as smart as her husband, or whatever ways we've abused and misused that idea of submission. Equality before God, is established in creation. It's confirmed in redemption. Paul, who says, wives, submit to your husbands, in Galatians 3.28 says, in Christ there's no male or female. Affirmed in, excuse me, established in creation, affirmed in redemption. Equality of men and women before God. So wives, whatever it means for you to submit to your husband, it can't have anything to do with your worth, with your value, with your dignity, with your standing before God. All of those things are, those are primary and those are fundamental. Second thing, and this may, be, this may be a bit more helpful for husbands, as you think about authority within your home and authority in the life of your wife, what does that look like? Keep in mind the primacy of your relationship to your wife as your sister in Christ. We're all from Mississippi on this. We've married our, we've married our siblings. That's what we've done. I've been married for 24 years. My wife's name is Mary Margaret. We're 46 years old. We've been married longer than we've been single in our life. But she was my sister before she was my wife. She's my sister while she's my wife. And she's going to be my sister when she's no longer my wife. What were the vows that you took until we're parted by death? What does Jesus say about marriage and the resurrection? There is none. There is no marriage in the age to come. Marriage, as important as it is, is a this-world relationship, which makes it temporary, like everything else in this world. Primarily, Mary Margaret's identity is as a daughter of God. She's She's his daughter before she's my wife. So whatever it means for me to have authority in her life, it can't violate the brother-sister relationship, the 54 one-anothers in the New Testament that say, here's how you relate to one another in the body of Christ. Here's how you relate to one another as brothers and sisters. That's what's more fundamental. As important as marriage is, it's temporary, it's secondary to brother and sister, which is ultimate and which is eternal. 
So whatever it means to exercise authority in the life of your wife, it can't violate the clear commands in the New Testament for how you treat brothers and sisters. Just in Ephesians, just a few of them. Be completely humble and gentle. So whatever it means to have authority in the life of your wife, it can't violate being completely humble and gentle. It can't violate bearing with one another. It can't violate forgiving one another. It can't violate being kind and compassionate. All of those are commands in Ephesians 4 and 5. And again, there's 49 more one another's in the New Testament. So again, so for whatever that means, husbands, to have authority in the life of your wife, you need to remember that before she's your wife, she's your sister in Christ. And after she's no longer your wife, she's still going to be your sister in Christ. And you need to treat her accordingly. Nothing that we do violates those commands of how we function within the body. Third part of the framework, verse 21, is a really important verse It's a transitional verse between what uh, preceded and then the household code. Uh, My Bible says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Your Bible may say submitting, and actually it is a participle. It's the fourth of uh, a series of participles that all flow out of this command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked last week, be being filled, continuous action. It's, It's the picture is breathing. We're constantly taking in the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is contrasted with being drunk. So to be filled with the Spirit is to be under His influence, to be under His leadership, to recognize our need for Him. And out of that flows speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in our hearts, thanking God and submitting to one another out of reverence, out of great respect for who Jesus is. There's an establishment there of what's called mutual submission, Within the body, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, we don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, we consider others better than ourselves. We look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And then the household code falls under that umbrella. And the the challenge and the encouragement for us is you can't do it apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't. We're all fallen. Wives. Your husbands at times are going to do things that are stupid. Is that not news to you? That are selfish, that are mean, and yet the command is the same. Yield to them. You can't do that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Husbands, it's difficult at times to put the needs of somebody else above your own, particularly if you feel like your own needs are not being met. You can't do that apart from the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your life. If we're not surrendered and submitted to him, wives are not going to be able to submit to their husbands and husbands are not going to be able to love their wives like Jesus loved the church. If we are, it's a natural outflow. It doesn't make it easy, but it is an outflow of his work in our life. So you keep those things in mind. Whatever it means for wives to submit to husbands and for husbands to love their wives as Jesus loves the church and to exert some level of authority in their home doesn't violate equality of genders before God. It doesn't violate brother-sister relationships within the body. And it absolutely requires the ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. Just as often as you breathe, that's the picture there of abiding in Him, the resources that we need. A couple of things uh, before we close out this little section. Uh, For some of you... um, this is maybe picking a scab off of a wound. And I don't want to blow past that. Don't necessarily have time today to dive into all of those things. 
but I, I do want to give you an opportunity to receive prayer. We're going to take communion a little bit. We'll have ministry teams here up in the front. If this whole idea, husband, wife, marriage, if, if that's picking out a wound in you, please let us pray for you. Maybe, maybe you desire to be married and you're not, and this just kind of puts that in your face. That idea of God being faithful to you, maybe you felt like he promised me a spouse and he hadn't delivered yet. I want to pray for you. For some of you, you had a marriage blow up or disintegrate, and this is bringing that up, the pain of your divorce. We want to pray for you. And for some of you, you're in the middle of a marriage and it's just not easy. It's not easy at all. The only thing that's keeping you all together is the fact that you said, I do. But there's nothing else going on there. We want to pray for you if that's you. So I don't want to blow past that. Uh, recognizing there, different places a message is going to hit people in different ways. So I, I do want to say that. Second, don't weaponize these commands. If husbands, if I'm talking and what you're hearing is, man, she doesn't really submit to me that well. You're missing it. <laughs> you never need to think about that, ever. Ever. Don't you ever say to your wife, submit to me. Don't say that. I'll punch you in the throat. It's not. <laughs> your job is to love her the way Jesus loves you. That's it. You're responsible for your heart and your behavior. She's responsible for her heart and her behavior. So wives, you're not sitting here thinking, well, he's not really living up to the standard. You're not doing that. We're thinking about ourselves and asking the Lord, search me and know me. Show me where I'm coming up short. I don't need to see where she or he is coming up short. You show me me. Where am I, where am I not holding up what you're asking me to do? So don't weaponize this at all. And I would encourage you this. Uh, if you're looking to grow in your marriage, this is not a marriage seminar. I would just very simply say, begin to pray for your spouse. Don't pray this. Don't pray, God, I pray that she would submit more to me. Don't pray, God, I pray she would realize how good she has it when she got me. Like, don't, none of those prayers. You pray, God, bless her. I pray she would flourish and thrive. I pray you would show me every way that I can wash her feet today. Every one of them. And you would give me grace in that moment to do it without needing a thank you without needing appreciation, without needing to be acknowledged. Just the way Jesus serves us. And wives, you pray whatever the wife prayer of that is. I just know the husband prayer. You pray the wife version of that. That's the prayer. And then I would encourage you, and this may be a bit awkward, especially if you've been married for a while and you haven't do it, and you haven't done it. After you begin to pray for one another, you'll, you'll sense your heart changing towards each other. And, and these postures will become much more uh, natural to you because God will be forming and shaping your heart in a way. And recognize this has nothing to do with how much you love your spouse it, at all. It doesn't really have anything to do with how great your spouse is. This has to do with the posture of your heart before the Lord. That's really what we're getting at. And as, as we're both husband and wife are growing in Christ-likeness as we're being discipled more and more into the image of Jesus, then these things come out of us more and more uh, naturally. But I would encourage you as husband and wife to maybe start praying together. And the easiest way I've found to do that, honestly, is right before you go to bed. It can be awkward if you've not done that before with your spouse. You're like, what do we do? Do we like hold hands? We look at each other. How long is it? So the lights are off. You're laying down. 
Just reach over, grab a hand, and say a prayer. And all you're doing is asking God to get involved in the things that, you're, that, that y'all are doing together. Like, God, you're, if you got kids, you're asking them to get involved in their life. You're trying to make decisions, whatever's going on. You're just asking him to get involved. It doesn't have to be 30 minutes. It can be two. But that one act of beginning to pray together can also, it can enhance your marriage. If you think about intimacy as physical, emotional, and spiritual, Praying together is a way of cultivating that spiritual intimacy, and there's not really very many other ways of doing it. But it's important, all three legs of that stool. Last thing, again, we're going to take communion. The picture here uh, is marriage as a parable. So you may not be married. You may not feel like that's something that that you desire. It may not feel like something God has for you. This passage still has truth for you and truth for all of us. Marriage is a parable of Jesus' relationship with the church. Jesus is saying, this is how I want the church to respond to me, and this is how I love the church. That's why we can't change the definition of marriage, because it's not just a legal contract between consenting adults who happen to love each other. It's a parable of the relationship between Jesus and his bride, between Jesus and the church, and the the pieces matter. They're not interchangeable. Part of the mystery, that idea of mystery, remember we said that's a, that's a truth that God reveals to us, is two becoming one. Two things that are different, man and woman, coming together and becoming one. The church and Jesus, there's difference there. Coming together as one. And Paul says it's a mystery and we don't understand it. How the Holy One comes together with us who are not holy. And we live in oneness and intimacy with him. The best parallel, the best picture we have is a husband and a wife coming together. That level and depth of intimacy and communion invites us into that. We get to participate with Jesus. That depth of relationship. Jesus says the reason he gave himself up for us was to make us holy. To wash us with water through the cleansing of the word. What he's talking about there is a Uh, A Jewish woman, before she was married, would have a ritual bath and then put on her wedding clothes. For us, it's a picture of baptism, the water, and the the word is the confession of faith at baptism. Jesus is the Lord, or whatever somebody's testimony is in that moment. He's, He's picturing there, again, this invitation to relationship, that he sanctifies us, he makes us holy. Why? So he can present us as a radiant church without, spe- without uh, a stain or a wrinkle or blemish, holy and blameless. And that's work that he does. He presents the church. We don't present ourselves. Why? Because we can't make ourselves holy. We can't make ourselves stain-free, wrinkle-free, blemish-free. We can't make ourselves holy and blameless. We receive the work that he's done on our behalf, and communion reminds us of that work. And so as we take communion today, I want you to do it recognizing, again, the mystery that marriage is a parable. It's a picture of the the level of intimacy that Jesus desires with you. And it's a picture of of where he wants to take us. It's, again, this idea of presenting us as as a bride to himself when he returns, pure and holy, spotless, uh, blameless. So this is what I want us to do. This This is a lot, but I... Y'all are smart. I want you to follow me. We're going to have teams up here to serve communion. You can break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. You can take a piece of gluten-free bread and dip it in the juice. Or you can take one of those prepackaged things if if you're more comfortable doing that. That's totally fine. Whatever you're most comfortable with. And then we're going to have three or four prayer teams down each side. 
And here are the things that here are the, the things for prayer. One, we want to bless every marriage represented. So if you're married, even if your spouse is not here, I want you to stop by and let one of these teams bless you. They're not going to pray a long prayer for you because it'll take, we don't have enough time. They're going to put oil on each of your hands. It's not magic. It's just, it's just a symbol. And they're going to pray very simply for God to bless your home. That's it. And again, every one of you, if you're married, I want you to stop by and let one of those teams bless you on your way back. Second, if some things got stirred up today, we want to pray for you. Again, if maybe, maybe this whole idea of marriage is a source of frustration for you. Maybe you've, again, you've had a marriage that, that did not end well, and there's still some pain there. Maybe you're in the middle of one that's very difficult. We want to pray for God to bless that. So if that's you, when you go to one of these teams, you can say, I, don't, I, I need help, and they'll shift their prayer accordingly. And finally, and this is way different, every uh, month when we take communion, we want to pray for people who are sick. One of the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection is he heals our diseases. And I don't understand how. Our responsibility is to pray, and he gets to decide what healing looks like. So we want to pray. And make sure, if you make sure, again, everyone, if you're married, we want to bless your marriage. Don't leave without that. If something has been stirred up, we want to pray for you. We don't want you to leave here just with a wound that's been opened. And then finally, again, if you're sick, we want to pray for you. For some of you, you need some, somebody to come alongside your marriage. You reach out. Terry's on our staff. He'll be more than happy to meet with you. We can direct you to some uh, professional counselors if that's the best thing as well. So I'm going to pray. I've talked long enough. You guys come and take your places, prayer teams and communion. We'll also have some guys over here in the corner for those of you that are off to the left. Y'all just pray with me. Holy Spirit, come. Pray that you would make bread and juice life to us. We confess, and if you, this is you, you acknowledge it in your heart, God. We confess, we desire, honestly, to keep you at an arm's length. We love that you forgive us of our sins and that you help us with our life. But the idea of oneness, of intimacy with a consuming fire is too much for us. And we, we, we repent. God, our desire as we take communion this morning is to say yes to the wildness and unpredictability of oneness with you. We want to understand as much as we can this mystery of how Genesis 2.24 applies to us and you. How a man leaving his family and uniting with his wife and the two becoming one, how that applies to us and you spiritually. We're so thankful that you present us holy and blameless. We don't have to do that. You present us as a radiant bride. We don't have to try to figure out how to clean ourselves up. And so we want to receive the fullness of the forgiveness that you offer to us this morning. And God, we do want to bless our marriages and pray that no pressure, but the marriages in this room truly would be a parable reflecting the great love that you have for your church. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.